0: So when I finished removing the head, I had to pull the milk out of the refrigerator to make room to save it. Speaking
1: of heads, we are rolling. Well then let's roll. I'm Rich. And I am Mark. And we are Two, two Guys, guys on, on Block Island. <laughs>
0: Well, welcome listeners to this uh, podcast. We are doing a special episode uh, for Halloween. We're going to talk uh, haunting and ghosts on Block Island. Whew, I've already got the heebie-jeebies, man. I'm yeah. telling you. The hair would be standing on by my neck if I had any, but right. my wife made me take it off. So <laughs> she, she said, get rid of the scarf. Well, manscaping <laughs> is, you know, a very
2: necessary yeah. part of, you know. In my opinion, if day-to-day you, life. Yeah, speaking of scary,
0: if you don't, it gets, yeah. you know, Yeah, scary. werewolf
2: kind of yeah. action happening. Yeah. Okay, let's start our episode out with a uh, ghost story from our friend Lisa Sprague.
3: My name is Lisa Sprague, and I have a ghost story. And this really, truly happened to me. Um. I used to spend a lot of time at the Blue Dory Inn with Betty Gann, back uh, when she ran the inn for her Aunt Cecil Dodge, and she would tell me lots of stories about goings-on in the basement of the Blue Dory, of which I was a bit of a naysayer for a long, long time, until the night we were sitting at the table in the kitchen having dinner, and it was a literally a dark and stormy night outside and we're there had been a clock on the mantle in the kitchen that I had looked at a thousand times you know over meals and scrabble games and whatnot uh with Betty and the clock was always on the same time you know when it was one of those old fashioned wooden mantle clocks and we're sitting there having dinner and I glanced up, and the hands suddenly started moving on the clock. Just not spinning fast, but just moving slowly all the way around the clock itself. And I said to Betty, does the clock do that periodically? And she's like, no, I have never seen it do that. And so we know that that night there was something Uh, that was having dinner with us in the Blue Dory.
0: So uh, we have a little helper guest along today to uh, talk about some ghost stuff on Block Island and all that shenanigans. And it's my daughter, Madison Trethaway. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Maddie.
4: Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks thanks for for being here. Very excited.
0: I'm very
2: excited about this because your dad told me about... When you were a kid and he said that one of your pastimes, one of your hobbies out here was ghost hunting with your friends. So how did that like start? Did you like did you go to your dad and say one day, hey, dad, I want to go ghost hunting?
4: (laughs) I don't think he was really involved. I think we got really bored and just started exploring like. We'd go to the hotels or we'd go to other properties that we knew were supposedly haunted or cemeteries.
2: When the hotels were, like, closed? Yeah. So did you, like, sneak into the hotels?
4: We never snuck in, but we would, like, go to the porch and bring that classic Block Island ghost book and maybe read the story or just kind of, like, creep around and scare each other and hope for something really weird to happen.
2: And at some point, though, your dad, you this became more of a thing where, like, your dad would drive you around and drop you off and... That kind of thing. So he was like, kind of like the chauffeur, the ghost tour chauffeur.
4: Yeah, sometimes. You know, some I some of mean, the
0: other parents would take turns, and you know, we we didn't really pay too much attention to where our kids were when they, they were there. Yeah, doing. why would you? Not much to worry about out Rich, here. Rich, did you ever? Were you ever
2: concerned that they may actually see a ghost or something really like crazy might happen?
0: Well, you never know. Right. I think I think that when it comes to ghosts, it's kind of like that's part of it. I think it's getting in that you know. It's not whether you believe or not, it's whether your psyche takes over. If you're in, if you can get yourself to that place, that's when you're kind of open. You know, I think people maybe don't see ghosts because they don't believe or they're not scared. But, you know, even me, I'm not a huge believer, but... I have a couple of stories where I was in the position to be frightened and I suddenly believed, you know.
2: Well, to, to your point, like the psyche, you know, what the, your mind, if you let your mind play those tricks on you and if you're open to it, you know, and then I'm a skeptic. First of all, I I always look for the reason, the logical explanation for something weird that has happened. Um, that's not to say that I don't I'm not open to believing, but I just I haven't had an experience that could not. 100%
0: be nothing other than something supernatural. You know what I mean? But like that's part of it, because don't you think you can convince yourself there's another reason for almost anything happening? Maybe,
2: but I, I've had people that are just like, nope, There are no. there's no way it was anything other than a ghost. Definitely, definitely. And I, I, I believe them, you know, if that's their experience. But I'm just saying,
0: I've never had that happen. Now, that's Maddie, just you're more of a believer, right?
4: Oh, I'm such a believer. Are you? But I think I almost want it too bad. Because sometimes I'm, like, dying for something to happen, and I'm like, why aren't they picking me? But well,
0: yeah, you know, that- there's
4: other people who don't want it at all, and then I feel like they have all the creepy experiences.
2: So what was, like, one of the scariest places that you remember going?
4: Um, Definitely got creeped out at the surf at night in the cold. I think part of it has to do with the water, and you're hearing all these noises, and you don't really know, like, where they're coming from, just... Like you said, I got in that mindset where I was getting spooked.
0: So you, uh, t- why don't you tell us about your, you said you had something creepy at the Hygieo. Who were you with?
4: Um, all right. So there was a big group of us and Lisa Starr was there and Gail Hall and Millie, of course, Lisa's daughter. Um, and there was a whole bunch of us. I specifically remember Richie Conant because this was kind of an experience that we both had, um, but we were both begging Lisa and Gail to come in the basement with us. We really wanted to use the Ouija board. So we were like, please come down and, you know, help us. Like, we want to take it seriously. And um, so we, they literally let only some of us down there. Millie did not make the cut because she was too goofy.
2: Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah you can't have a goofball messing around with your Ouija board mm-hmm. session. Mm-mm.
4: We were basically like, if we're going to do this, we're doing it for real. And once again, I really wanted something to happen. So we all go down and we're like in the basement sitting in a circle on a bed and, um, you know, we're...
0: Who spun the bottle first? <laughs> oh, no, that's not, I'm sorry, Wrong I got thoughts. It's my daughter, I gotta worry about these things, you know.
4: Um,
0: <laughs> you tried to trap her, I see what
2: you did yeah. there, good work.
4: Um, yeah, well, so we're all taking it seriously, we're like, you know, asking questions and we're getting like a little bit of movement but nothing super crazy, but I just remember at one point I don't know what we had asked, but I was sitting on the bed and Richie was to my right. And our arms were like next to each other because we're all in a circle. And I just got this like cold chill, but only on my right arm. And I turned to look and he's looking back at me and he's like, did you just feel that? And he had said that he basically got the same feeling on his other side like almost like something right in the middle of us happened i don't whoa. know what
2: and it was it like a breeze or was it just you just it your arm just chilled
4: just suddenly like goosebumps and it was just cold
0: and only on one arm
4: only on one arm and it was just it i maybe wouldn't have even been that weirded out but the fact that we looked at each other at the exact same time and he was like did you feel that whoa like i didn't have to tell him wow it was crazy
2: wow so, so did you guys were you guys like, okay, I'm good with this Ouija board thing now or did you keep going?
5: <laughs>
4: we kept going for a little bit and then the only I mean, you know how the Ouija board works like so everyone's fingers are on it and no one's really controlling, but you're kind of just letting it go. The only answer we really got at one point we were like, you know, we don't mean to bug you if uh, if you're ready for us to leave, like we'll leave and you know we can get out of here and it just turned and the arrow faced. Goodbye.
0: So it was like, yeah, I'm good with you guys. And then Thanks. we were like,
4: now we're out of here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like a goodbye like I'm leaving. It was a goodbye like, yeah, you guys should yeah, leave. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> and that was the end of it.
0: Well, that's pretty neat. It was creepy. And temperature, from what I gather, plays a lot into these ghost stories and ghost hunting and they – A lot of thermal imaging. Yes. And some people say warmth or cold or, you know, I guess that's part of a ghost personality trait. Yeah. Well, you know,
2: there's been a lot of, you know, theorizing about what a spirit could be scientifically based. And there's, you know, it's energy, I think, is what a lot of people feel is that it's energy and energy has a you know, can can change, uh, you know, thermal dynamics and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, you know, but that's me, again, being the
0: realist, trying to, you know, scientifically prove it. I don't know. And, um, and I wonder if the concentration of ghost stories, because there is a lot of them. When we started looking into ghost stories about Black Island, I mean, there's w- way too many for us to even touch base on. But I wonder if it has something to do with it. So supposedly, right, spirits can't cross water. Exactly. So I wonder if that's, you know, they're, kind of trapped here and can't roam the countryside or the state. Or yeah. Whatever. I think that's probably if, if there is any truth to the ghost
2: thing, then yeah, that's probably one of the reasons we have such a high density of supernatural activity out here.
4: Yeah. I'd never heard of that.
2: It's, you, oh, you never heard that.
0: No. Yeah, no, it's yeah, a thing. Supposedly. A thing.
4: That would make yeah. sense then.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So this one I got out of a, of a newspaper article. Um, so this is about the Hygieia House, uh, Maddie told a little bit earlier. That's what you said your Ouija board experience took yep. place? Okay, so um, most often the tales of ghosts are associated with buildings, and many of the island's familiar structures, often built in the late 1800s and early 1900s, are by tradition haunted. The hotels have seen more than a century of coming and goings and stories of old ladies who appear sewing in windows of pictures that won't hang straight, Certain rooms where strange things happen and guests complain of uneasy nights. So, up at the Hygieia house was renovated by Lisa and Champ Starr, uh, and it provokes its fleshy occupants to occasional frustration. Most often, Lisa Starr said it's because objects go missing and then reappear in obvious places. She goes on to say that Champ's great grandfather was the island doctor. So in addition to all the family members, she believed this place also served as a mortuary. I think a lot of people feel very strong vibes here, and to me there is a lot of energy around the place. More when Champ's away. Chambermaids of the Hygieia claim the third floor is particularly creepy, and one employee complained of repeatedly being tapped on the shoulder when no one was there. And in the same room, a guest woke up in the middle of the night when it felt like a hand grabbed her ankle. She described the experience as hair-raising. Wow. Well, you know, and the funny thing is, I mean, Maddie, what do you think? I think a lot of these stories that on Block Island are all about the same. You know, there's many stories from one place. I mean, it's got to be something to that. You yeah. know, it's not.
4: Well, I was going to say that um, a lot of the rooms on that third floor, I think, are all named after family members. So, like, I've heard particular stories about like different experiences and different things will happen over and over again in the same room. Like I know that there's like the Rose room, I think is one that people have had crazy things happen. Like I wonder if it's that, you know, the relatives are more drawn to that space because it's named for them.
0: The other thing that's funny about some of the stories I've read and heard, like three different people tell the same story and they've never met each other and they never heard the story. And the stories are very close we're actually going to get to one of those a little later in this. Uh, yeah, in this episode. So, well, uh, do we have another clip we can listen to from a listener? Yeah. All right.
6: This is Ashley here, and one of the good, good one I have is about the firefighters that. I imagine they were anyways, living upstairs of Aldo's. Um, When we were kids, we would encounter all kinds of spooky stuff. And we had, like, this giant hallway up there that was all just rooms on each side. And um, these spirits that I thought must be old firefighters um, would move objects. It would shut doors. And they throw out old flowers and one time we were all sitting in the living room us cousins and something pushed this vase of dried flowers over right in front of me and leo and a couple other cousins and we totally got blamed and i was like it was the ghost no one ever believed us another story i have is about my grandpa aldo when i was about 10 years old i was upstairs and heading down the hallway towards the long staircase which is the one on the side of the bakery My mom had already gone down the stairs and was waiting for me. I was about halfway down the hallway and I saw this figure appear in front of me. I froze uh, froze. and um, at first he was like transparent and then slowly became more solid in color. And it was my grandpa Aldo, white t-shirt and pants. And I remember looking down and noticing his feet were not touching the ground. He smiled at me and I completely freaked out. I wanted to turn around and run but so I ran right through him screaming to my mom as I went down the hall, the long stairs and I felt like I jumped into the ocean in winter. It was freezing. And then just as quickly as I felt that it, it was gone. And I look back on that moment all the time and I know he was visiting me and wanted me to know that he watches over me. But at the moment I was at 10 years old, I was scared shitless and it was ridiculous and i wouldn't really go down the hallway to my own room for at least a week i had to sleep with my mom or she'd have to bring me it was just intense
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know if i'm going through a
0: ghost i'm not bum rushing a ghost like that no well, it was it was her grandpa well that's true you know He's like, kid, I got some pizza for you. What kind of a grandpa comes back and scares the crap out of it? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> wait a few more years or leave a note first.
7: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, know? yeah.
2: you know, this would you, you would think that this would be a place where, like, one of those ghost hunter TV shows would want to come out. Well, funny you should say that. Wait, why? Did they?
0: Yeah, they did. Really? Yeah, yeah. They came out. One team came out to do the surf.
4: The surf, for sure. I think they came out and did the surf first. And then... They also went to the Hygieia.
2: Oh, they did. Yeah. Now, was this before or after you had your experience in the basement?
4: This was after. Okay. It actually was Yeah, it wasn't that long ago.
2: Did you call them?
4: No. No. <laughs> no, I think they actually reached out to come out here cuz they'd heard about the Hygia. Okay. Oh. Um and I know that I don't remember all the specifics, but they definitely like stayed overnight, did a bunch of recording, like I think You were talking about the, um, temperature, like, I don't know if they did thermal. I know they definitely did like recordings at different frequencies to try to get some voices. And they, they heard people going back and forth. I think one of the things I specifically remember, they heard a man saying, shut the window. And it was like clear.
2: Really? Yeah. And do you know, was that something that other people have heard at the Hygieia house that specifically shut the window or? No,
4: No, I don't think so. Um, From what I hear at the Hygieia, it's a lot of, like, footsteps, locking doors, that kind of thing. Um, Like, I think this technology or whatever lets them hear at a different frequency than people really can hear normally.
2: Did they have one of those little devices like in Ghostbusters where the thing, the guy's like, The door opens. (laughs) (laughs) Their little arms go, like, up on the thing. And it really looked close, and it's like a Noralco razor with like
0: some like LEDs <laughs> attached to it. They're like, oh yeah. And then they did the surf, and that actually was an episode on the show, uh, whatever it's called—Ghost Hunters or, you know. But they—I don't know that they found much there.
4: I don't know. I
0: remember watching it, and I think it was a little bit of a not as exciting as everyone was either expecting or hoping.
2: So they, like, go in there, and they're like, uh, yeah, we didn't find anything, but damn, those dolls are creepy enough, and that <laughs> stuffed raven you got above the desk, like, I'm well, all set with this place. I
0: know they said, I think it might have been during the lapse of uh, opening, like, it, the surf was shut down for a year or two, like you said, I think it might have been during that time, yeah. and then they did the sit-down at the end with Lorraine and talked all about it. She'd be a good one to talk to. I know. Is Lorraine yeah. Is Lorraine still yeah, out here? Yeah, she, she's still here. Be, right? I okay. just saw her, so she's, you know... Either it's not her ghost. No, she's here. She's definitely here. <laughs> so she'd be a cool one. Yeah.
2: All right. We've had uh, some listeners uh, email us with some of their ghost stories. Um, so, Maddie, do you want, to, uh, you want to tackle some of those for us?
4: Sure. From Sarah Heineman, she says, My family owns a house on Minister's Lot that we built in the early 70s. I always sleep in the same bedroom, and I've experienced two different situations I believe are connected. The first one was about eight years ago and I was sleeping in the room with my cousin in our separate twin beds. I was woken by a feeling and saw in the corner of the room sitting on the chair was a young boy in a suit outfit that looks like it was from the 1920s and another boy, presumably his brother, standing behind him in a similar suit. I couldn't move and all I could do was sit there and stare at them as they stared back. My cousin didn't wake up and slept through the whole thing. Then this last summer, I woke up again in the middle of the night around three in the morning and saw two tall white figures, the shape of people standing at my doorway. My dog, who was sleeping in the hallway, woke up in that moment and started looking around as if he sensed them, too. They left the room and I turned my light on and they were gone. I have a feeling it was the brothers again.
0: Mm, That's spooky. All right. Well, thanks for reading those emails, Maddie. Those are great. And thanks for sending them in. We really appreciate it. Every little bit helps. And uh, speaking of which, we have another clip sent in uh, by one of our listeners. So why don't we listen to that?
5: Hey, this is Pam Gelsimini, and I have a ghost story for you. I grew up spending summers on Block Island at the Breakers, which is an old Swedish boarding house just north of Scotch Beach, built in the 1800s, loads of history, and I have some cool stories from a couple of summers when I was a kid. The first is we had people staying with us, and one of the women came into the house and went to walk up to the second flight and saw a little boy standing at the top of the stairs with dark hair. Now, everyone in my family are blondes. I had two cousins who were toeheads, and my brother was strawberry blonde. So when she came running into the kitchen and said she saw a little boy with dark hair, no one could imagine who that could be. She ran out of the house and refused to ever come back in. We thought, ah, maybe she's a little kooky, maybe she was drunk. But then systematically over time, I would have friends out, and they would wake up in the middle of the night and see a little boy with dark hair at the end of their bed or in the mirror. So repeatedly he was seen. And the way the story goes is that a little boy died of some kind of influenza or something in the early 1900s and was back to visit. I personally never saw him, but that's the way my ghost story goes. The other ghost story that I've been told repeatedly as a child and I've told my kids My mom and my aunt would drive us up to the North Light in the summer when it was a particularly cloudy and windy day. We would stop, and they'd say, get out of the car and listen to the wind. And we didn't know quite what they were talking about. And they said, can you hear that? Can you hear that in the wind? And you'd listen closely, and you would hear, Marianne, Marianne. And we would be like, what is that? And supposedly the story goes that back in the day, I'm guessing in the 171800s, there was a woman who was madly in love and her lover went off to sea. And supposedly she was standing every night, you know, at the widow's walk watching for his boat to come home, and she finally was in such despair that she jumped and killed herself on the rocks. And what you're hearing in those late nights in the wind is her lover coming back to find her, calling for her. Marianne Marianne
0: So um Maddie, you uh you have another story, don't you, from your
4: My personal story? Your
0: personal story.
4: I do. I have one one that's really creepy that I guess I technically didn't see anything, but I was witnessed. I'll just tell it. Yeah, just because yeah. it's
0: yes. confusing. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm I'm confused right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I would be confused if you were my father too. Well, you know, she, yeah, There's a, it explains a lot. It really. When does. people meet me, there you know. Are they like, yeah. how are your children so normal? I, they are. They do say that a lot. They do. When I said one was gonna, they're both in like ones. You're you're gonna be a, a social worker. My other daughter is a special ed, speech and language, and and one of somebody looks at me and goes, "Oh, good. So when they graduate, they'll help you."
7: <laughs> like,
0: uh, what do you mean? Yeah, I don't know oh, talking what about. That, yeah. huh? All right, let's hear it. What happened? Okay,
4: so this was probably the the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I was babysitting for a family that I didn't even really know. Um, And Lindsay was with me. It was actually on my birthday. That's my other daughter, Lindsay. My sister. Lindsay was with me. And um, we were watching two kids. And one was like a real baby. And one was like three years old. So like walking, talking, but still really young. And um, everything was going normal until the three-year-old starts like crawling around on the floor. She's hiding under the table. And she's whispering. And she's saying... Shh, shh, telling me to be quiet kind of like she wasn't saying be quiet but she was like shh, shh, shushing me and um, then she starts saying he's here he's here he's here and I'm like nobody's here like everything's fine and um, I'm not even scared at this point it's still light out I'm like this poor kid is, has an imagination so I'm like come on out and I pick her up and she's like nervous still and she's saying He's here. No, he's here. And she's pointing at the front door. So at this point, I have her on my hip and I just walk over to the front door. It's like a regular door with one with like the window up top and a curtain down. So you couldn't really see out the window. And I slide the curtain to the left and there's nothing there. And the girl freaks out. She like shrieks. I felt every muscle in her body like clenched because she's in my arms at this point point. And she was bawling, crying, and she, like, hit her face from the door. So I don't know what she saw, but the reaction was so genuinely scared that she saw something. I didn't see it,
2: but... And, like, how, what did you, like, at what point were you like, okay, something's at like, she saw something? At
4: that point when I saw her reaction... That was when I actually got like legit scared because I'm like,
0: Did you Holy... drop the baby?
4: <laughs> I didn't drop the baby. I felt Whoopsie. really bad for her. You I was open like...
0: the door
2: and you're like, here, whatever you are, if you want, take her.
0: Just take. <laughs> her. Yeah, it's so hard to run from a ghost when you're carrying something. I... <laughs> and just Drop and run. So how was the rest of your night babysitting?
2: I wasn't there
4: for too much longer after that, but I just kind of like tried to calm her down. And I felt really bad because...
2: Did you tell the parents when they got home what happened? That's what I was going to ask.
4: I don't think I did.
0: Yeah, I think I it's wanna. a
4: little hard to explain.
0: Yeah, you don't want to end your baby, you know, babysitting career so young. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then
4: by the time they got back, she was
0: she, she was okay. had settled
4: down and she got over yeah. it. So I was kids like, are
0: resilient. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Hey, I see a ghost. Three years old doesn't even remember that. Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to tell the parents that one. Wow. I mean, that'd be a that'd be a great you know mistake. Right. I think. Okay, let's check out another uh,
2: ghost story from one of our listeners. What do you think about that? This one's from Gemma. <laughs>
7: This is Gemma. I have a ghost story for you. It happened back in the early nineties at the Old Harbor Baptist Church. It was the fall, and I was working weekends at Finn's with you, Rich, actually. Um and I was staying with a friend who had an apartment that was a part of the church. Anyway, it was a Sunday. I had finished my lunch shift, and I had some time to kill before the boat. So I went back to the apartment to just kind of hang out and watch TV. Uh, I was a little shocked because I could actually hear the Sunday school kids still in the building at 4 in the afternoon. And normally they were long gone by that time. But I didn't really you know, think anything of it, and I went back to watching TV until I heard them start to go up to the second floor of the building, which back in those days, it was a, a big hallway with a bunch of rooms that were filled with, uh, you know, old clutter things, and it was dirty, and there was stuff sticking out, and it it was not a safe environment for kids to be running around in. So when I heard them going up the stairs, I thought, i got to get them out of there before somebody gets hurt. So I walked through the connecting door from the apartment to the... um church and i got to the second floor stairs and i look up and as i'm about to go up i actually see one of the little boys run past the top of the stairs so uh, yeah i go up the stairs and i'm thinking oh these kids i get up there and i can't find them i walk up and down the hallway i'm like where do they go then i hear them up on the third floor which is an attic i get to the base of the attic stairs i can hear them clear as day running around up there I'm about to go up. The lights are already on. So I go climbing up the stairs. I'm completely confident that now I got them because there's no way to get out of that attic other than the stairwell that I was in. So I go climbing up and I get up to the attic and I'm standing there in the center of this massive empty room with the lights on. And I realize that I am completely alone. There is not a living soul with me. It's a true story, and it still gives me chills to this day.
3: <laughs> oh,
2: that is super creepy. Gemma, thank you for sending that in. Um, all right, Rich and Maddie have decided to uh, go out ghost hunting. They're going to see if they can find a ghost and bring it back here so we can interview it. Um, we thought that would be exciting. So in the meantime... Um, I've put together a, a little little ghost story for you, and this is, I think, the quintessential Block Island ghost story. Um, it's uh, about a ship that wrecked here back in the early 1700s, and uh, the name of the story is called The Ghost Ship Palatine. So take a listen and enjoy. The year is 1738, a 220 ton British ship departs from Rotterdam in the Netherlands. The purpose of the voyage is to transport 240 German immigrants from the Palatinate region of their native Germany across the treacherous seas to Philadelphia. Although the vessel has been christened the Princess Augusta, it will come to be known in the annals of history as the Palatine. Captain George Long and a crew of 14 had no idea that their crossing would be beset by terrible storms, raging seas, disease, death, madness, and murder.
1: First mate! First mate Andrew Brooke, where are you? I, Captain. Have the casks of new water been stowed? We've been waiting a bloody week for them. I Captain. They have
2: but First Mate Brooke had lied. The new casks of potable water had not in fact been delivered due to a clerical error of the First Mate's own doing. Rather than admit his error, delay the trip, and cost him his position, First Mate Brooke bribed a dockmaster to load the leftover water casks from three other freighters aboard what would forevermore be known as the Palatine. Upon the High Seas the now-contaminated water supply begins to wreak havoc amongst the passengers and crew. As sickness slithers its way throughout the ship, Captain Long calls upon his first mate,
1: Andrew Brooke. First mate Andrew Brooke, the stench of death is about. You were charged with seeing to it that the supply of water aboard this vessel was of pure origin, stored properly, and in great supply. Now... The mighty Princess Augusta finds itself... The b- Palatine, sir. What did you say? The Palatine, sir. That's what they're calling it. The people on the boat, sir. They're calling the boat the Palatine. You know, on account of all the Palatinanians or Plantains or whatever they're called, sir. I don't care what they're calling the boat, First Mate Brook. Is there or is there not a fresh supply of water on this vessel? It's 50-50 at the moment, sir. You should be fine, sir, as long as you didn't drink out of the first three casks to the left of the mast, sir.
2: The words are no sooner uttered when Captain Long begins to convulse and heave.
1: Damn you, first mate Brook! I am laid low by this curious affliction caused of your incompetence. Should I die? See that the Princess Augusta make... The Palatine, sir. Stop it! Enough with the music and the bloody dramatics already. We get it. Whatever the bloody hell they're calling it. Make sure the ship arrives safely in Philadelphia. And whatever you do... Don't make the remaining passengers hand over whatever valuables, trinkets, and baubles they may possess to you in exchange for clean water and food! I would never do that, sir! (laughs) And with that,
2: Captain Long breathed his last breath. Despite the captain's warning, after assuming control of the ship, First Mate Brooke immediately began trading rations for whatever collateral the second starving passengers had with them. For it would appear that First Mate Brooke was also a first-rate shitbag. What have we here? A gold pocket watch. I've already got three of those.
1: Well, all right, give him a crust of bread and a thimble full of ale. And you're welcome.
2: The seas grew fierce, and for many a frigid fortnight, the North Atlantic gales bruised and battered the Palatine.
1: First mate, Brooke! Weather ahead! It's Captain Brooke, you idiot! Captain Brooke! Weather ahead! Its crew decimated, its
2: passengers clinging to life. With little hope left, the scoundrel Captain Brooke desperately searches for safe harbor in hopes of saving the doomed Palatine, and more importantly, his own skin.
1: Cast this dreaded storm. Should we reach the shore, I'll touch the ground a wealthy men thanks to my shrewd bargaining tactics with the passengers. If only there were a light. A single light. One simple beacon on which I could set my course.
2: Meanwhile, on tiny Block Island, life was its usual difficult old self. Winter had come early, and with it, the myriad host of complications that made living on the scarcely populated spit of land particularly troublesome. Two farmers, Uriah T. Lillywhite and Cyrus Longmeadow, were amongst the farmers whose crops had perished in an early frost. Faced with starvation, they resort to drastic measures.
1: Cyrus, with the beating we took at harvest, it looks like we may have to resort to a bitter moon cussing to see us through the winter.
2: Well, I don't see how blaspheming the moon's going to help our situation none. Don't you know what moon cussing is? Well, I can't rightly say I do. Moon cussing is the practice of placing a false beacon upon a rocky shore so that passing vessels may be lured and dashed upon the rocks whereby we may loot and pillage their bounty. I propose we extinguish the lighthouse and light a fire atop the bluffs in hopes a wayward ship mistakes it for safe harbor. I don't like the sound of this, Cyrus. I'm a god-fearing man. But the winter's been hard, and since we ain't had no harvest, I don't want my babies to starve. I got a question, though. What do we do with all of the survivors? Well, we'll have to kill them all. Brown's frozen, though. We'll store the bodies in the attic at the old farmhouse on Trim's Pond until the spring thaw. So Uriah T. Lillywhite and Cyrus Longmeadow set a large hay bale atop the bluffs. They attached a large lantern on a pole to Cyrus's donkey and led it in circles around the hay bale. To any passing vessel, it would appear as though it were the beacon of a lighthouse. Meanwhile, at sea, first mate Brooks glimpsed the deceptive gleam of hope from aboard, the Palatine.
1: Is that? Could it be? It's a light. It's, it's a lighthouse. All hands on deck. Set course for that beacon of light. You know, the one which will surely save us from certain death and will in no way be a trap set by a bunch of crazy locals on an insignificant little island in the middle of nowhere. An island where we'll all be robbed and murdered only to have our bodies stored in the attic of a farmhouse because the ground is frozen and there'll be nowhere to bury the bodies until spring.
2: And so, on December 27th, 1738, the Palatine lurched through the storm towards Tiny Block Island and its inevitable fate on her rocky north point. As the ship smashed upon the rocks, the locals had their way with the wreckage and remaining passengers. After they had plundered what could be plundered, the Palatine was set ablaze and dragged out to sea. One passenger, Mary van had not been discovered. She remained alive on board the Palatine. Driven mad by the voyage, Mary had hidden in a cupboard for the last week and a half. As the palatine burned, her screams could be heard from shore. It was the last anyone had ever heard or seen of the palatine. That was until some years later, when in late December, a lonely surfcaster spotted a dull, orange glow several miles offshore. A faint shrieking was heard that accompanied the apparition. According to accounts spanning several generations, on certain nights around the anniversary of the wreck of the Palatine, the ghost ship can be spotted adrift in the darkness. And if one listens close enough, one might even hear the screams Of the mad woman who went down with the cursed ship. And there you have it the legend of the ghost ship Palatine, perhaps the most famous ghost story associated with Block Island, the story of a ghost ship that certain people claim to see off of North Point sometime around the anniversary of uh, the uh, wreckage of the uh, actual ship. Now, what you just heard was a fictionalized account of what actually happened. It's a controversial story out here because it paints Block Islanders as a bunch of uh, murderers and and, uh, robbers. So true islanders, they they reject the version of the story that you just heard, and for good reason. Let's unpack whatever facts we do have about it. So, first of all, the name of the ship was actually the Princess Augusta, and it did depart Rotterdam in the Netherlands in August of uh, 1738. It was bound for Philadelphia. The passengers aboard the ship were German palatines, They were natives of the Palatinate region in Germany. People described the ship as the Palatine ship. Oh, yeah, what's that ship? Oh, yeah, that's the one with all the Palatines on it. The nickname, the Palatine, stuck with the ship. So people just kind of stopped calling it the Princess Augusta, said, oh, yeah, that's the Palatine ship. The captain, George Long, he was a real guy, too. And he was the captain. And he did die due to the contaminated water supply. His first mate was a guy named Andrew Brooke. And he did take charge of the ship after Captain Long died. Now, there's no truth to the idea that he was responsible for the contaminated water supply. I made that up myself, you know, for like dramatic effect and whatnot. But according to crew depositions taken after the wreck, he was, in fact, not the greatest guy. He did force passengers to pay for whatever remaining rations were left. Also, after the wreck, he was the first one to get off the boat. So, (laughs) He basically left everybody, all the passengers on board. As soon as the first rescue boat came, um, he was like, yep, see you later. Peace. And, uh, the passengers were just after enduring this horrific three month journey, were just like, yo, that's not cool. The remaining crew and passengers were rescued the next day. So they wrecked and then they had to sit around on this wrecked ship for 24 hours waiting to get rescued. While meanwhile, you know, first mate, Andrew Brooks and, uh, Hanging out at uh, maybe uh, the Monday nightclub having a couple drinks. I don't know. After the passengers were rescued, first mate Brooke went back aboard the ship and he took whatever remaining possessions that the passengers had were left on board because they couldn't take it with them in the uh, rescue vessels. So, yeah, he he went back and robbed them anyways. The folklore aspect of the, the Palatine story is due mainly to a poem that was written by John Greenleaf Whittier. The poem was called The Palatine, and Whittier heard the tale recounted to him in 1865 by uh, someone from Newport, Rhode Island, and he wrote the poem. And that poem first appeared in print in the Atlantic Monthly in 1867. And that was the account that, you know, claims that the ship was not uh, a victim of just uh, know, the nature, but uh, that Block Island locals, in fact, did light fires atop a hill to lure the ship onto the rocks. Again, this practice was known as moon cussing, and it did happen. It might have happened on Block Island, maybe not, but as far as historical evidence goes in terms of the Palatine, the people of Block Island actually rescued the remaining crew and passengers, gave them clothing, food, shelter, and then they helped get the rest of the survivors to the mainland. So as far as setting the ship on fire, that most likely didn't happen either. And here's why. There was big money in salvaging shipwrecks back in the day. Still is. And the timber that was used to build the ship, milled usable wood, was scarce and it was valuable. So it wouldn't have made sense for anyone to set fire to what would be considered a valuable commodity. The ship would have been salvaged and repurposed, you know, like... Hipsters in Brooklyn do to, uh, to build coffee tables. So, most likely, the ship was not burned. However, after everyone was rescued, the ship was dragged back out to sea and allowed to sink. Now, Mary Vanderlein, she was a real person. She was a woman who was one of the passengers, and she did go mad over the course of the treacherous sea voyage. However, by all accounts, She refused to leave the ship upon rescue, despite the pleas of the local islanders trying to rescue her. They weren't able to coax her off the ship, and she was allowed to remain on board and go down with it per her wishes. Which, I mean, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but I guess uh, that was her choice. Another interesting fact is that there were uh, a few people that came to the island and didn't end up going back to the mainland. One of them in particular was a woman named Dutch Katrin. That was her nickname. We don't know her last name. She remained on the island and married a freed slave and did have children. I am curious as to whether or not anyone alive today that has anything to do with Block Island and knows the story might be a relative of hers. So uh, if you are, email us and let us know. Oh yeah, she was also thought to have been a witch. I guess she did some weird stuff, whatever. So so when you bring up the Palatine, if you come to Block Island, please make sure that if you're talking to uh, someone who lives out here whose name is on Settler's Rock, please make sure that you don't offend them by suggesting that their relatives were um, moon cussers and you just learned what moon cussing is. So you can add that to your vocabulary. And there you have the fact versus fiction of the legend of the ghost ship Palatine. There's a lot of stories and movies even about ghost ships out there, if you've ever seen The Fog by John Carpenter one of my favorite movies, you know it sounds a lot like the story of the Palatine anyways, hope you enjoyed it how about we uh, take a ghost story from another one of our listeners, this one comes from our uh, old friend Amy Dodge
8: Hi, Rich and Mark. It's Amy Dodge. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, I'm a big fan of your podcast. And second, I wanted to share with you um, my Black Island ghost story. I was definitely, was a little older and I was driving right by your house, Rich, where uh, west Side Road and Lakeside come together right by Smiling Through. And I can't remember. I think I was coming from the West Side. So I was coming up West Side Road past Smiling Through to take a right on Lakeside to go home that way. And there was a woman on the left side of the road. It wasn't that late, but it was dark and it was in the late fall. And when I tell you she was a color that I had never seen before in my life, um, she was almost glowing. And it caught my attention because all of the hair on my arms stood up as I drove by. And she was kind of, I mean, she wasn't floating, but she was definitely glowing, like a white greenish color. She was by herself and she had this dark brown, dark brown jet black hair and I'll never forget it because it was the craziest feeling I'd ever experienced in my life and I didn't even stop at the stop sign and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this on air but I just flew home and I remember being like holy moly I can't even believe just what what just happened but I was by myself so anyways um definitely over the years obviously strange things have happened everywhere I've heard people's stories thankfully mine aren't nearly as scary as other people's Well, I
0: wish we had time for more ghost stories. We're getting to the end, but before we call it an episode, uh, Maddie, you seem to have brought us a little bag here. I did. What is that? It's I brought
4: a, you guys a gift. It's a surprise. Oh! But I think you should open it. It's so
0: sweet, right? Rich. You do the honors. No, you it's, please. You. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you. Hang on. Let me get it. <laughs> and I am honestly have no. I didn't have any idea this was coming. And this is. Uh,
2: what's this for? It's what's this? What's this special occasion? <laughs> You'll see when you open. Oh, it. So exciting. Ooh. <laughs> Maddie did a very creepy
0: version oh of our god, logo for the Halloween oh, episode. I'm gonna get a picture of that and put it up. I was just so
4: excited. You guys were doing a ghost episode. So excited to be here. Oh
0: my god! So I think that's am really I really cool?
4: Am I your first fan art?
0: Yeah, this yeah. is considered oh, fan, fan art. art. Mm-hmm. Well, nice. look at you. Thanks, Maddie. Yeah, you hear no that, problem. listeners? Fan art. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> fan, fan art.
2: art. <laughs> no, it's really cool. Maddie, thank you. You're welcome. Now, yeah, um, if Maddie uh, lets us, if we can get the copyright cleared, maybe she'll let us use this as the episode um, thumbnail. Oh, that'd, sure. be cool. okay.
0: yeah. that'd, that'd be right.
2: cool. That's okay. That'd be very cool. That's so nice. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and we hope all you listeners enjoyed our very first Halloween episode all about ghosts here on Block Island. Um, and, and you know, hey, let's make
0: it an annual thing perhaps, right? I think it'd be great. I think there's more than enough stories to go around, and hope you like them. And, uh, you know, if you come out to Block Island, think about it. Check out some of the really old cemeteries and – Grab a copy of the book and go around and do a little ghost hunting. Yeah, and don't take any
2: babysitting gigs. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Rich, tell the people how they can get in touch with us.
0: All right. If you want to reach out to us with any uh, questions, suggestions, etc., etc., we have an email. It is twoguysonbi at gmail.com. And don't forget to
2: follow us on the spookiest thing in the world, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get in touch with us there. And also, wherever you listen to our podcast, please make sure you subscribe to it. So if it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify,
0: whatever, subscribe, people. And if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to tell your neighbor, tell your friend, spread the word for us. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, the good old-fashioned way. Yeah. You know. Just chatting it up with folks. And if people say they don't even know how to listen to that crazy thing, help them out. Show them. There's a lot of people I think could enjoy podcasts, whether it's ours or other ones, that don't even know how to download them or use them. So help a neighbor out and get them on there. Rich, I got
2: to go. I'm freaked out. I got to go, like, you know, take take a little uh, medicine and and try and and calm down. Yeah, I'm going to go take a little rest in my death room. Um, Hey, can I uh, come to your death room with you? Sure. Sweet. I'll I'll bring the crackers.
6: Two Guys on Block Island was recorded barely alive at Captain Nick's Rockin' and Roll Bar. All episodes produced by Rich Trethaway and Mark Scorchino. Happy Halloween, Captain. <laughs>